My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. So many people ask why I named this podcast, All the Hard Things. And the reality is because it's good to do hard things, right? It's how we get better. It's how we push ourselves outside of our comfort zones. It's how we become our best selves. And you already know by now that I love a good challenge. So that's why I'm taking the 14 days of magic challenge with Magic Mind starting today, Monday, October 10th. I'm challenging myself to be my best self for 14 days. You can do anything for 14 days while also saving the Amazon rainforest in the process. How cool is that? Magic Mind helps me feel so much better in the mornings and I'm actually happier and way less stressed out throughout the day thanks to these adaptogens that boost my mood and help me relax. I've been drinking Magic Mind for a little while now, and I can totally see a difference from the days where I do drink Magic Mind versus the days where I don't get to drink it. So I'll be giving a full review in later episodes, but if you want to get in on this challenge with me, you can go to magicmind.co slash 14 days of magic and use my discount code of ATHT14 for 20% off your order. All of that information will be in the show notes and all of the views from the hashtag 14 days of magic will be turned into cash to help replanting and restoring the rainforest. You can learn more at magicmind.co slash 14 days of magic. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of all the hard things. I have a dear, I would say friend. I don't know if you agree, but that's how I consider you, Shannon. I have Shannon Jackson here, um, started out kind of just, you know, on Instagram, I was on her podcast, a healthy push and yeah, I just have come to just love your energy so much and all the awesome things that you do. We're going to talk today about panic, agoraphobia, exposure and response prevention, doing all the hard, scary things and why that's so important to do and why it's not just scary, it's really fulfilling and it actually can enrich your life in so many ways. Um, So Shannon, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you, Jenna. I'm so excited to be here with you and your community and you can absolutely call us friends. (laughs) I would definitely consider you a friend. So um, yes, I'm so happy to be here and this conversation is going to be great. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, And just so you guys know, so um, obviously my content is very um, honed in on obsessive compulsive disorder and exposure and response prevention. Um, but exposure and response prevention isn't just for OCD, right? I would even argue that it's not just for people who have a disorder or, you know, anxiety or related condition. These concepts are good for people in general. Like these are things that I wish I learned growing up and things that I want to instill in my own kiddo. Um, But we're going to have a different slant on today's discussion. Maybe we'll talk about obsessions and compulsions a little bit, but Shannon's coming from a little bit of a different background, my understanding, um, you know, with panic, agoraphobia and all that stuff. So I know a lot of you are going to resonate with what she has to say in her story. So Shannon, 
I, I won't mess it up. I want you to tell us a little bit about your background um, and just your story um, in whatever form that comes out. Yeah, perfect. So this is always the best place to start, right? But it's always the place where I'm like, oh my gosh, I could talk for right hours about my story and like what I went through and how I landed where I am today, but I'll try to make it short and sweet. So I, like many people, will say that they struggled with anxiety from a pretty young age. Um, I remember being, you know, overly anxious as a child, especially going to school and having new experiences. And um, and then, you know, when I hit high school, it was really when I realized whoa, like I'm, I'm dealing with something here and it's not just, you know, your typical anxiety or the anxiety that I experienced, you know, as a child. And when I was in high school, it really hit me hard. It hit me actually at a track meet. I had my first panic attack. I had no idea what the heck was happening. It was terrifying. And I honestly thought in the moment I was having like an asthma attack or something. Um, And so that panic attack obviously really stuck in my head like it does for a lot of people. And I started fearing having that feeling again, right? And so I started to find with like a lot of things that I was doing, I felt this like constant on edge feeling. I felt like I, you know, don't want to do anything that's going to cause that feeling to pop up again. Like, I don't know what that was. I don't know, you know, what I should, shouldn't do. And like, really from that moment on, I started to really experience panic on a daily basis, like panic attacks, like you wouldn't believe I started to develop some really intense fears. Um, It was really hard for me to go to school. It was really hard for me to sit in classrooms. It was really hard for me to drive in cars, like to, to drive in cars, even from my house to school, which was, you know, 10 minutes away was super painful. Um, And all of these things were really hard because I always had this fear in the back of my head of if I feel that way again, what is going to happen? Like, what am I going to do? how bad is it going to be? What is it going to look like? And so, yeah, I developed a really strong fear of anxiety and panic. And so, of course, it wasn't just through high school for me. I struggled all the way into my mid-20s. And so it rolled into my jobs, being at work and um, through college and relationships and dating and, you know, all of it. And It was so like, you will hear me get emotional because I am just an emotional being in general. But, you know, when I think back to those times, I really, it's so crazy to think that I even got through those things Um, to give like a really specific example, right? Because I know people are probably like, oh, you struggled with panic attacks, but like, (laughs) I want to give a glimpse of what that looked like for me. Um, So one day I was at work and I worked in healthcare for a long, long time. I had a pretty professional job um, and it hit me. Like I felt this wave of anxiety come over me and I was just like, oh God, what am I going to do? Like it's happening. And I remember walking to one of my coworkers who I was pretty close with. And I looked at her and I was like, I am like going to have a panic attack. Like I'm, I'm like having a panic attack and I don't know what to do. And she was like, like it gave me that look. She was on the phone and I was just like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? 
And I remember walking into the bathroom, which was like a place that I often went when I was panicking. And I remember like literally laying on the bathroom floor of our work bathroom, like how gross, (laughs) because I felt like I was going to pass out. Like I was so scared. I was shaking, sweating. Like for me, a lot of my anxiety manifested in digestive issues. So if that fight or flight response kicked in, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. Like I, I might vomit, like all the things. And I remember sitting on that bathroom floor, like with my feet up on the toilet and I was shaking and crying and just like, what am I, what am I going to do? And I remember frantically like calling my mom, which is something that I would often do when I was experiencing anxiety and panic and she wasn't answering the phone. And I was just like, oh my God, like for a lot of people, your brain always jumps to the worst case scenarios, right? So like all I could think sitting there was I am going to pass out. Like I am not going to be okay. Like I cannot handle this feeling. I'm by myself. I'm at work. Like I cannot allow people to see what's happening right now. And as I was frantically calling my mom and she didn't answer, I just sat there and I was like, okay, Shannon, you've experienced this so many times before. Like, yes, this sucks that you're laying on the bathroom at work, but this is going to pass. Like you're going to get through this. And it was awful. I mean, it sucked. And that for me was what a lot of my panic attacks looked like. And so you can imagine, you know, having to do things like go to work and go to school and driving cars. And for me, a lot of it was if I felt like I was in a place or situation that I couldn't easily get out of and these symptoms, sensations, like the feelings took over, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? And so it was, it was with everything that I did. It wasn't like just being at work, just being at school driving, going to the grocery store, driving five minutes from my house. Like it hit me in every aspect of my life. Yeah. That's intense. I can just envision you in the bathroom and like, you just want your safe person, which is obviously such a huge thing when you have panic, right? Like you have your safe space, you have your safe person and that wasn't available to you. And like you, it seems like you really had no other choice than to have this realization almost like I've gotten through this before. Like I've gotten through this before. Um, yeah. So in a way it's kind of, it seems like that was almost like your bottom and like when things started to, to turn, is that what you would say? Oh my gosh. I Jenna, like I can't tell you, people ask me all the time, like, did you have a turning point? And I feel like over the 15 years that I struggled with this stuff, I felt like I had like numerous turning points, right? I felt like I had so many moments where like an I would go through an experience and come out of it and feel like, okay, like this, you know, I can tackle this. This is going to be different. And then, you know, I would hit like a road bump. Like I would have a really bad panic attack or I'd have a hard day. And I felt like I'm right back where I was. And like this experience though, like it definitely did do a good job of teaching me you don't always need to look externally. Like you can get through this stuff and you don't need your mom. Like, yeah, it would be more comfortable, but like you don't need 
you're safe people. You don't need to be, you know, in these quote safe places. Like, of course, because home was always considered safe. Like, even if I panic at home, how bad is it going to be? Right. Like I'll, I'll be okay. Cause I'm at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, throughout my journey, I had so many points that I would say they they were just lessons. Like they were lessons and, I wish I could say like that moment, right? Like I got up off the bathroom floor and I wiped the tears and I came out of there. Like I got through that and I'm amazing. But like when you're going through stuff that hard and that bad, it often does not feel that way. Like you often don't walk out of those situations being like, I'm badass, right? Like they're often, they can be more often times defeating than motivating if you don't know how to respond to them in that healthy way. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it seems like, you know, when you weren't panicking, you were worried about when you would panic again, like it it was just like completely all consuming, right? Like you can't even go and drive five minutes outside of your home. Like this is how debilitating it can be like to, I mean, everyone listening obviously understands, but I think sometimes when people say like, oh yeah, I'm about to have a panic attack or like, oh yeah, I panic all the time. It's like, I've had them before myself and it is, I, it's terrible. It's the most, I mean, you think you're going to die. You truly think that you're going to die. You think that the Mm -hmm. world is over. It's just the worst. It's the worst possible feeling in the whole entire world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Right. So for me, (laughs) I always say, probably 90% of my panic attacks were created by me trying to not have a panic attack and by me thinking about it. And like the other 10% were, you know, actual, like really stressful times or whatever, but 90% of them was literally me always trying to prepare myself and like to be safe and to feel safe and to not feel anxious. And of course, having the knowledge that I do now, you know, if I could go back, that's one of the things that I would have told myself, right, is, you know, you're creating a lot of this. And I didn't realize that at the time, like I thought truly by me trying to always be safe and keep myself safe and create these, you know, safety points and safe people and touch points and all this stuff. I thought that I was like doing a really good job, but I was actually just reinforcing all the anxiety and Mm -hmm. I had no idea, of course, when I was living it, that that's what I was doing. Right. And so you and I know why that is, right? Like you and I know now looking back, like, oh yeah, like always needing to go somewhere where there is a bathroom or always, you know, needing to have your phone just in case you need to call your safe person or, you know, planning your trips around so that you can minimize the drives, right? Like you and I know now that those are safety behaviors that reinforces to your brain in the long term that you can't handle it. And oh my gosh, good thing you did bring your phone with you. Otherwise, if you would have had a panic attack, the worst thing ever would have happened. Um, but for so many people, right? Like that seems so paradoxical and so completely counterintuitive because it goes against all of our fight or flight systems. It goes against our body. It goes against common sense, even for people. So I feel like if people are new to this, they're probably like, wait, like I thought that I was doing the right thing. Like I, I I need to feel safe. I need to make sure that I don't have these panic attacks again. Like, can you clarify for individuals out there, like why that's not the best thing to do? I know it's probably a super loaded question, but, um, yeah, like why is that, why are having these touch points and planning your whole life around not having panic attacks? Like, why does that actually make things worse? Yeah. So 
unfortunately what it does to your brain, right. Is it reinforces that what you're feeling is actually dangerous. So like when you're trying to prepare and plan and like prevent yourself from feeling anxious and you do all the things like mapping out routes and making sure that you know where you could stop and like pulling over, turning around when you feel the slightest bit anxious, like all these things that you do are actually just sending those signals to your brain. Like these symptoms, these sensations, the discomfort, like all these things are really scary, really dangerous. You can't handle it. You can't feel these things. And so when you're constantly trying to prevent yourself from feeling anxious, your brain is constantly convinced like you're in danger. It's just kind of always in that fight or flight mode of like, we've got to protect because we don't know what could happen. And it was so hard, right? To I think even then, like a, a part of me knew this, like a part of me knew some of the things that I was doing. Cause of course, like I really avoided a lot of things like, and this is, you know, one of the biggest safety behaviors. And even though I knew, like, I know by me not facing this, it's not a good thing because it's just keeping me sort of stuck here. Like I'm just continuing to cycle through the anxious thoughts and feelings and I'm like not getting anywhere. So I think I knew like definitely the avoidance wasn't helpful (laughs) Um, in some of the other behaviors, but it's so hard when you're feeling it and when you're experiencing it because those feelings are so real. Like nobody can take that away, right? Like the sensations, the symptoms, they're there. Like you're not making them up. And if anyone were to be experiencing them, they would be scared. Like they would be trying to also keep themselves safe and keep themselves, you know, in control. But that's the really hard part in recovery, right? Is developing that healthier response to anxiety and teaching your brain. We don't always need to be on alert. We don't always need to prepare. Like we're actually quite safe, even when we feel this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love how you explained that. Um, And I love that you mentioned like the feelings that you're feeling are real. Like they are happening. It is not those sensations like that dizziness, those you know, that nausea, that digestiveness, right? Like that mm. ick, that feeling of doom and dread, that is something that you are experiencing. It's not that it's made up and it's not in your head. It's just that the story that we tell ourselves about those things is not necessarily based in reality, right? Like it, that's not necessarily based in the here and now, you know, the story that you were telling yourself was that you can't handle this. You're going to die. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? You know, I'm going to this embarrassing thing is going to happen at work in front of everybody and so on and so forth. Um, for me, my panic attacks were, I would always freak myself out that I'm just going to like somehow like something really awful is going to happen to me. Like I'm just suddenly going to have a stroke or a heart attack or something. And like, mm-hmm. just something completely suddenly unexpected, like, and then my whole life is going to change. Like my whole life is going to change. I'm not going to be able to be active the way that I want. I'm not going to be able to give to my family the way that I want. Like that's something random and spontaneously bad is going to happen. Um, and that that would happen like during a panic attack, because my body would just be so like overwhelmed in that moment. Um, but you know, the thing is you mentioned fight or flight or freeze, right? Like these natural body responses that we all have, we can't help it, um, that they turn on as a means of survival when our brains interpret threat, right? So our brains interpret threat, not to say that that's actual threat, right? Like we've all had that experience where we think that there's a spider and it's just like a black, 
you know, smudge on the wall or something. We've all had that experience where it's a, you know, we think that it's a snake in our front yard and it's actually a water hose, right? But our brains still interpret that as threatening, at least for the first couple of seconds until we have evidence or experience to suggest otherwise, right? So mm-hmm. um, those systems are activated nor- automatically. We cannot help them from not being activated. But what happens in panic and often, you know, what you've been alluding to Shannon is that they can't turn off while we're still acting as though we are in a threatening situation, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, they, they naturally would turn off in the absence of evidence that there is a threat, but if you're still acting as though there is a threat with the things that you're telling yourself in your mind, while you're being super vigilant and trying to find your safe place and, you know, avoid this and and call your safe person, you're still acting as though there's a threat. So your brain is going to pick up on those messages on those body cues and say, huh, well, Shannon is still acting as though there's a threat here, even though I have gotten the evidence to suggest that there's not. So my job is to keep Shannon safe. So I'm going to you know, pump out this adrenaline just in case, because she's still acting like there's a threat here. And that's why, you know, in our field, and I'm sure you're familiar with this too, we, we often will encourage people to act as though, right? Like act as though this panic attack doesn't scare you act as though, you know, you are not trying to go somewhere and find your safe place, right? Like it still feels really real. It, that feeling is not going to go away for some time. It will eventually for a lot of people, but it's all about acting as though so that we can kind of rework that reinforcement cycle like you were talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, of course, is super hard because when you're in it, right, it's like that threat response is going off and you know, like, you know, I was in therapy for years and I feel like I got a lot of education and I had a lot of knowledge, but all that sort of went out the window when I was experiencing panic. And it truly is, your brain is just like, you know, alert, alert, like you need to do something about this. And that, that was probably the hardest part for me was teaching my brain. Nope. We can actually, in fact, like sit at this red light and not continue to freak ourselves out. Like we don't need to go along with these, what if thoughts, like we don't need to try to find um, an exit strategy. Like we don't need to call somebody like that was all the really hard stuff to say. I I totally acknowledge what's going on. Like I I see it, I accept it. I'm gonna allow myself to feel this, and I'm not doing anything to try to create safety, because the reality is right. Like all the things feel really uncomfortable and really dangerous, but you're actually incredibly safe, even though you're feeling all this stuff. So that was, you know, the hard part of being like, okay, I'm going to try to act, you know, business as usual over here while all this craziness is going on inside of me. <laughs> and, you know, it didn't always look pretty, right? Like I, throughout my recovery, there wasn't like a moment in which I started responding to the anxiety and panic in a healthy way. And I just like nailed it every time. Like, you know, sometimes I was in my car and I, or at a friend's house and I like, felt that anxiety and panic. And I was like, nope, not doing this. Like, I know that I shouldn't run. I know that I shouldn't call somebody. I know that, you know, these things aren't going to be helpful, but like, I'm doing it because I feel like I need to. And so, you know, I always encourage people, you're not always going to make the healthiest of action. 
you've got to try, right. And do your best and whatever that looks like, it's okay. You're going to get through it. But, you know, I think we often create a lot of pressure on ourselves to always like, you know, act in the healthiest way and do the right thing and like, get it right. And it's just like, we're human. And that feeling is really scary. And it's not always going to look like you working through it beautifully. And, and, and in the way that you would hope. Mm -hmm. This is not a question that I anticipated asking. So I don't want to throw you off, but I think (laughs) this is going to be such a huge, like a big, good question for people who are listening. What would you say is the difference between what it is that you and I are talking? Like you can say, yeah, like Shannon, you've gotten through this before. You can get through this again. You can do hard things. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with people talking about their personal abilities when it comes to doing hard things. Like, yes, you are capable of doing hard things. Yes, you have gotten through this before. Why is that okay? And not necessarily reassurance or ritualistic or, you know, a safety behavior versus somebody telling themselves, you know, your heart rate is fine. You know, Google said that it was fine. It's not that big of a deal. Just get back. Like what, what the new, the, the, the difference and the nuance is so like fine. Like it's so small, like someone else who's not familiar with the nuance of these conditions would probably be very confused. So can you describe that for them? Yeah. I mean, I think what you're kind of alluding to, right, is this thing that we have a tendency to do as humans where we minimize what we're going through. And like, we just want to tell ourselves, you're fine. You're okay. Like, yeah, your heart rate's high, but you're not going to have a heart attack. You're not going to die. Like, I feel like this was a lot of kind of the self-talk that I used to have that wasn't super helpful because the reality was I wasn't fine. I wasn't okay. Right. Like when I was experiencing the sensation symptoms and panic, like I did not feel okay. I felt like I was dying. Like I felt like, you know, my whole world was crumbling and that I was not going to be okay. And so I think, you know, I use this often as an example now that I have a, a daughter, she's four. I often catch myself sometimes saying, you know, you're okay, Amelia, it's okay. And I'm looking at her and she's crying, right? She's like actually hurt, you know, they're like, it's a minor <laughs> like cut or something, but you know, the, the blood, she feels the pain and, you know, I have to really catch myself and say like, Shannon, she's not okay. Right. She doesn't feel okay. She has a cut, she's bleeding, she's scared. And so by me just looking at her and telling her you're okay, like you're fine. One, it's not true. Two, I'm not validating how she actually feels And three, I'm not making any space for her to like just allow it to be there and me not to try to fix it. Like I don't actually have to do anything. Right. And it's like, it goes against all of our instincts. Like as, as moms, especially, I totally relate to this, but also as like individuals, right? Like we, uh, of course we want to get away from like uncomfortable emotions, but unfortunately what that does is it reinforces to our brain that there is something to fix in the first place. Yep. So, so true. Right. And that that's the big thing that I didn't realize. Right. And that I learned through therapy and people see, of course, in the reels that I create now on Instagram, how to actually have healthy dialogue with yourself, like how to actually talk to yourself, how to support yourself. Um, I love, I'm a huge fan of positive self-talk. I think you can really change if you change if you work to change the stories and the dialogue that you're giving yourself it really helps you to create this solid foundation of like 
I've actually got this. Like it sort of backs that feeling of I've got this. And, you know, that doesn't happen by minimizing. It doesn't happen by saying, Shannon, this is just a panic attack. Like this is ridiculous that you're freaking out. Like stop freaking out. You're okay. Like that type of self-talk is like counterproductive. It's going to do the opposite of what you want it to. But if you instead just allow yourself to say like, yeah, I feel super anxious right now. This feels terrible, but like I can work through this. I've gotten through this many times. And it's not really that like your brain's going to believe this, right? Your brain's not going to just be like, oh, okay, you're telling me like, we're going to work through this. You know, we've done this before. We'll get like, your brain is still going to be like, um, I don't know. Like, it seems like we should be freaking out right now. It's just sort of trying to teach your brain this new way of adapting and responding to be like, yeah, you do actually have the tools and you can actually work through this, but like, you've also got to back that self-talk, that supportive self-talk, which will help you work through the panic with your actual healthy actions and behaviors. Like you can't be continuing to frantically call your mom and, t- and be telling yourself, you can work through this. You've, you've got this, you've done this before. Like, you know, those things aren't going to be helpful together. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so curious, like just the discrepancy, like the difference between like this image I have of you in the bathroom and like not being able to drive and all that stuff to like this badass, super like, like just warrior of a person. And you're saying all the right things like, oh my gosh, like this is exactly consistent with everything that I would tell someone that I was working with. So this is amazing. But when did you like, how the heck did you get to learn about this? Because whoever you worked with obviously knew what they were talking about, which is amazing, right? Because we know so many people, they fall into like the more general CBT uh, structure of therapy where they are told to do, you know, re- relaxation strategies and they're told to challenge their thoughts with logical thinking, which we are discussing right now doesn't really work. Right. So um, what was the turning point for you as far as like when you started to get treatment and what was your first reaction and just initial experience with that therapy process? Yeah, it's it's such a good question. It's like a really big loaded question, right? But I went to therapy for over 10 years. I primarily did talk therapy. I did a lot of CBT work. I had a couple of really amazing therapists though. And I would say I learned a lot of this stuff, but I didn't put it into practice (laughs) because honestly, like I was young, I was sort of just trying to balance like living life and doing all the things and fun things and having all the cool experiences along with also trying to recover from something really, really tough. So for a long time, I didn't do, I didn't implement, I didn't like actually make the behavior changes and all that stuff. But you know, that just the the stuff that sticks with me even now to this day, the stuff that I learned in therapy that's really supportive and helpful is this, you know, healthy relationship that I have with myself now of like how I talk to myself and also to like just approaching challenges and my fears and all this stuff with a really realistic approach of like, you know, you, if you want to do this, if you want to get to the other side of this, you're going to have to face this fear. You're going to have to face this emotion, like whatever it is. And, you know, so a lot of the tools that I learned in therapy was like, there's no real like way around this because I, I say one of the best things that I was taught, I went to see a psychiatrist um, because I was at one of my lowest points and I will get emotional. Um, 
this was probably, I don't know, 10 years ago um, that I went to see the psychiatrist. And I was at a point where I was like, I've got to try medication because I've tried so many things and nothing is helping me. And it wasn't entirely true. It was partly that lack of self-accountability, but I went to see her and I remember sitting down like so cliche on her couch and she was a super blunt, honest person. And that is exactly what I needed at that point in my life. But I remember sitting down telling her like, I've, I feel like I've got to try medication. I don't know what else to do. And she looked at me and she said, you know, Shannon, with what you're going through, I'm surprised, like truly that you're still functioning, that like you're still going to work, that you're still like pushing yourself to go on hikes, that you're still like trying to live. And I, that validation was huge for me. Um, and it got me to sort of start to acknowledge like, yeah, like what I'm going through is actually really, really tough because I often just minimized it. You know, I was often just like, this shouldn't be so hard. This is ridiculous. And then like, it's just anxiety. <laughs> um, so really having that validation and being able to accept, have a level of acceptance too within myself of like, it's okay that you're struggling with this and it is really hard. And like, you know, you're going to, you're going to get through this. But so, you know, the, the thing that she said to me that has stuck with me always is she said, you know, Shannon, you don't have to learn how to manage anxiety. Like I keep, I think you keep trying to learn how to manage it and that's what's preventing you from recovering. And I was like, what? Like, what? Like, the only message I feel like that I had ever gotten was sort of, you know, either from therapists or just people in general was like, you have to learn the coping skills. You have to learn the the tools that you have to get good at breathing techniques and, you know, all this different stuff. And she's like, I think you're trying so hard to use all these things, but you're doing it in a way where you're just trying to do it to get the anxiety to go away. You're trying to get yourself to not feel. You're trying to get yourself like a way around all this. And unfortunately, there's not a way around it. So, you know, she looked at me very bluntly and said, like, I don't know if I can swear. I won't say the word, but she said F, managing anxiety. <laughs> like, like you're not going to learn how to manage this anymore. You're actually going to learn how to overcome it. And I was just like, mind blown. So it was that first time that I got that sort of permission, it felt like. You don't need to get good at breathing exercises. You don't need to learn how to do X, Y, Z. Like, I want to equip you with tools that you can like that you have literally within yourself that you can just start to pull out of you and use to help you work through these emotions and to tackle these fears and these challenges and that was just so beautiful to me I honestly don't think I would be here where I am today without having met her (laughs) isn't that so cool that literally someone could say like a couple sentences and just like change your whole life. I have goosebumps. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, who knows, right? Like maybe you just did that. I mean, I'm sure you did, right? Like, I'm sure you, you did that just now you do that on your podcast. You do that with all the work that you do. Um, and I think that's why so many of us, like we go through it ourselves and then we want to do that for other people because we see the light, so to speak. And like, we see that there's such a better way to live. And you're so right. As long as we're doing these strategies to get rid of anxiety or to get rid of the sensations or to get rid of whatever, um, we have the wrong goal from the get-go. Like the goal cannot be to get rid of it. 
that in and of itself is, you know, telling our brains that this is dangerous and it is something to be fixed, but we do need to learn to accept it. Accepting it doesn't mean that we just like roll over and, you know, surrender. It's that, no, I'm, I will bring it with me. Like I'm not tied to whether those symptoms are there or whether they're not there. I'm still going to go to work and I'm not going to, you know, monitor my symptoms or try to dictate, you know, what routes I take anymore. And I'm sure, you know, there was a big exposure component, right? Like there was a component I'm sure of you having to like actively and in a purposeful way, go out of your way to drive more, to, you know, go on visits to places where you weren't sure if there was a safe place. Can you talk about some of those things for a couple of minutes? Yeah. So I, it's funny. I tell people I never did, um, traditional exposure therapy. Like nobody ever mentioned it to me. I didn't know what it was. And I think a big reason for that was because I was continuing to like get out and do the things like I was going to work. I was, you know, still pushing myself to do things outdoors. Like I'm a huge outdoors person. I've always been. So I was still doing all the things, but the big thing that I was missing with all of this and what, you know, somebody finally said to me and it, and it was just a friend. She said, you know, Shannon, I wonder if why you're struggling so much with anxiety and the panic is because you're always trying to fight it. And that, like, I don't know why it was probably just that point in time I was in my recovery where she said that. And I was just like, shit, like, I think you're right. Like something just clicked and I was like, okay, so, you know, I'm going to keep doing the things right. But I think I'm making everything so much harder on myself. And I remember bringing this to my therapist and having a conversation with her and saying, you know, I'm, I'm driving every day. Like I'm still doing the things I, you know, even though I'm struggling with driving anxiety and toilet anxiety and panic attacks and like every, you know, friggin' fear I felt like under the sun, I'm still doing everything and I'm going to work and I'm going out with friends and all of it's really freaking hard and I just want to be over it. But I think the thing that I've been doing for so long that's making it worse is I'm trying to always fight it. I'm always trying to make it go away. I'm trying to make it not be there. And so it was really like pushing myself to say, Shannon, you are going to go in the car and you're not going to try to change things to create more safety, right? Like you're, for me, being a passenger sucked more than being the driver because I felt like I had way less control as a passenger. So it looked like, you know, this is the, you know, exposure chart part changing it. Like I'm going to sit in the passenger seat. And when I feel uncomfortable, I am not going to ask this person to pull over. Like I am not going to freak out and call somebody. Like I'm just going to allow myself to feel the emotions, to feel the sensation symptoms. And a big thing for me that was super helpful was nature. And like, I'm a big outdoors person. I've always been since I was a little kid and I continued to do the things. And I like, let me tell you, there is nothing, there was nothing scarier at the time than me going out and hiking a mountain that is, you know, <laughs> a six hour hike where you're miles and miles from quote safety and having to panic in the middle of nowhere and be like, this is no different, Shannon. You can panic here or you can panic in your car five minutes from home or you can panic at home. Like you need to choose to start to, to like really fully live your life and do the things that you want to do 
while allowing yourself to feel this and work through this stuff in a healthy way and not keep trying to fight it and push it away. And so it was really hard like to literally do these things and sort of always keep in the back of my head, like you are your safe place. You, you don't need to look for ways out. You don't need to call people. You don't need to avoid. You don't need to run. Like you're going to continue to do all this stuff and you're going to just let anxiety be there and you're going to sort of become best friends with it. <laughs> and it's going to give, you know, your brain that message of we can do all these things and we can do them whether we feel this way or not. And it obviously is what helped the feelings to stop popping up so much. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure there are so many people out there who are asking difficult questions, which we'd probably have to have like a part two of this, but they're probably like, but how Shannon, like, how do you do it? And it's just so hard. And like, I think the, the thing that I would leave people with is that it it's, it is hard. It's really hard. Like, I'm sure it was hard for you to get into that car and not plan your route around safe places. I'm sure it was hard for you to continue to hike, even though you had those thoughts coming up, like, oh my gosh, what if you panic here? And you like had those flashes of what could happen. Right. And you continued hiking. I think we overcomplicate the mental aspect of it. It's really about, you know, you know, you, it's not like that. It's not that we are adding something to the equation, right? Like I, I think people are like, but how do I accept uncertainty? How do I be okay with my anxiety? And it's like, we're not adding anything to the equation. We're just removing a piece of the equation that was never supposed to be there. We're removing your Mm -hmm. resistance to that. We're removing your, you know, like putting it under a magnifying glass and trying to understand it completely. We're removing your resistance to that state. And as you remove your resistance to that state of being uncomfortable and not being hundred percent sure you realize that you never really needed to resist it in the first place, like that you can continue to go hiking. And I I, want to be clear too. Like, it's not like you're just hiking and you're like super anxious and miserable the entire time. Like you eventually start to feel better doing the things, but you have to give yourself and your brain time to kind of catch up. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. But too, right. You've got to give yourself the opportunity to see what like maybe it could look like because obviously just like you said, all of my hikes, all of my drives, all of the things weren't always full of anxiety and panic. You know, sometimes I did these things and I was quite all right. And I actually had a lot of fun and I felt joy in between the anxious moments. <laughs> like it's, it's not all just anxiety. And, you know, I, I would, just love for people to really hear this because I feel like this is a big piece that I was missing for a long time was I was always trying to solve. Right. And I always did that by looking outward, like whether it was to other people or whether it was to tools or whether it was to Google, like anything and everything. Like I know you're, you know, you want to get rid of it. You want to feel better. You don't want to struggle with anxiety, But such a big piece of what's going to help you to overcome the things that you're struggling with is you and actually giving yourself the opportunity to see just how capable you are by allowing yourself to face the hard things and like actually see, oh, wow, I can do these things even when anxiety is here. And that's just such a beautiful thing because I I think we hold so much more power and we have so much more wisdom than we give ourselves credit for. 
Yeah. And this is not about confirming or disconfirming your worst fear, right? Like this is not about getting 100% certainty that you are never going to have another panic attack, right? Or that your worst fear with digestive issues is never going to come true. Like that's where I think so many people get it wrong. They, they go into this exposure work, whether it's like under the guided structure of a therapist or just like you did kind of on your own naturally throughout the process. And they do it with the intention of trying to get rid of the experiences and wanting confirmation or disconfirmation that their worst fear either would happen or would not happen. And that's not the point, right? The point is that you put yourself in these situations, reduce safety behaviors and you reduce avoidance so that you learn that you can tolerate it, that you can tolerate these uncomfortable sensations, that you can tolerate you know, having those thoughts on a hike that you can tolerate these things, even when they happen, or even if they happen. Um, so yeah, I think you're just the perfect example of all of that. Um, (laughs) and yeah, I guess, you know, there's probably a lot of people here who might be new to the concept of exposure work or challenging yourself or, you know, letting go of these safety behaviors and such. And, hopefully they can see now a little bit better why, even though it is such a paradoxical and counterintuitive kind of treatment and approach, why it's so helpful. Um, but as we've acknowledged, right, it's very hard. It's very, you know, it's emotional. It's a roller coaster. What would be your advice to somebody who's just, they hear this and they're just kind of starting out. They're like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. I'm not sure if it's going to work, but I'm going to give it a try. What would be your advice to that person? Yeah, it, it's truly, I, I just like so strongly want to emphasize it's the small steps. Like you're not going to land on one big thing, right? You're not going to find the solution, the tool that like, it's not going to, these, these things, recovery really happens by taking the small steps and by consistently taking them and really, truly allowing yourself just to see how capable you are and being so gentle on yourself throughout the process because it's going to be hard, like, and it's going to suck a lot of times, but keeping in the back of your mind always why you're doing it. And like, you deserve the peace, the joy, the freedom that's on the other side of this. That's what you want. And you're, you're deserving and you're absolutely capable of getting it. So just keep taking the small steps and you will absolutely get there. Absolutely. I love that so much. Um, So Shannon, why don't you let people know really quick where they can find you, uh, keep up to date with your story. Um, all the awesome things that you do. I've mentioned earlier that you also have a podcast. So, um, yeah, just let people know where they can find you. Yeah. So I primarily live on Instagram at a healthy push. Um, that's also my website, my podcast. I would love for you to reach out, connect with me. I always love for people to send me messages and yeah, I'm here and you head to my page and you'll see some awesome reels and just all the good stuff on panic and agoraphobia recovery. Awesome. Thank you again, Shannon, so much. Um, I'll make sure that all of those notes and where to find Shannon, that that's all in my show notes for you guys for quick and easy access. Once again, Shannon, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point in the future. Um, But in the meanwhile, you guys, whether it's OCD, anxiety, panic, or agoraphobia, Um, I hope that this was helpful and keep doing all of the hard things. Like Shannon said, you all deserve it. And it's all possible for every single one of you. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.